one of the things that I think a lot about with this book is that, you know, part of the beauty of our stories are our failures. Hello, readers. I'm Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. If you love insightful, thoughtful, deep conversations on life that fill your heart, then today's episode is for you. I talk with Newbery Medal-winning author Matt De La Pena and New York Times best-selling illustrator Karina Lucan. They're here to talk about Patchwork, their stunning new picture book that will have young readers considering all the glorious possibilities that lay before them. Here's the book synopsis for Patchwork. From a Newbery Medal-winning author and a New York Times best-selling illustrator comes a deeply moving ode to the complexity and uniqueness of every child. In profound, uplifting verse and sumptuous artwork, beloved creators Matt De La Pena and Karina Lucan explore the endless possibilities each child contains. A young dancer may grow into a computer coder. A basketball player might become a poet. A class clown may one day serve as an inspiring teacher. And today's quiet empath might be tomorrow's great leader. Here's an uplifting new classic with an empowering message for readers of all ages. Your story is still being written. Hello, Karina and Matt. Welcome to the Growing Readers Podcast. I am so looking forward to our chat today because I'm a huge fan of the work you have both created individually. Matt, uh, we've actually been in the same room before, but it was a very crowded room. So, and we didn't meet face to face, but it was at a SCBWI uh, Letters and Lines conference in Colorado. And you were the speaker for love and you read your book, Love, illustrated by the great Lauren Long. And I'm a crier and you bought me to tears. So <laughs> I've been a huge fan since then. Is that the one where I had to rush off and catch a plane right after? I, I feel like you said something yes. like that. It was I, I, I wanted, sprinted. Yeah, I want to say it was like 2018. So it was a while ago. And Karina, uh, this is going to be really corny, but you've had my heart since your picture book, My Heart. <laughs> it is one mm. of my favorites. Oh, thank you. What's really great is both of you have so many books And this is your first collaboration together. It's your new picture book, Patchwork. And it gave me goosebumps because I think it fully embodies that concept that books and stories are like windows, mirrors, and sliding doors. And it it celebrates the complexity and uniqueness of every child. But before we dig into your beautiful, beautiful book, I would love to start by getting to know you both a little better by understanding what makes you tick. So I want to know who wants to go first and share what motivates you or drives you to create books for kids. I can start if you, if you want. Yeah. Why don't you go first, Matt? Okay. So yeah, for me, I was, I've always been drawn to 
realistic stories that take place in maybe working class communities or, you know, sort of like follow diverse characters. And I think the reason why I'm drawn to those stories is because I think towns where I grew up are beautiful and interesting. And, and I just, I guess I just want to like share the, the beautiful parts with readers. Um, and then also, you know, having children myself, I just see the incredible impact of children's literature on, you know, emerging readers and thinkers. And so I'm just like, so feeling, I feel so lucky to be a part of uh, the children's book world. Yeah. How about you, Karina? You know, I, grew up reading a lot. I had a mom who would read to me and we didn't have a lot of money, but we went to the library a lot and she would find books at garage sales. And, um, and I feel like books were always in our home. And when I would spend summers with my dad, I'd go to the library there. And when I went to visit my grandparents, uh, I'd go to the library there. And those were three different States. So I feel like even as a young child, I was I had like access to library cards in, in California, Hawaii, and Arizona. And it like, I just remember loving those spaces and loving how I could go in and wander around and come out with something that would keep me occupied and entertained. And I was an only child. So, you know, books were a big part of my life growing up. Um, and I've always loved art. I've always loved to draw. So for me, there was a point where I realized that the, the ability to bring art and words together in a picture book feels like magic to me. I, I like, I love it so much. And I love putting art to words in that format more than I love putting art in almost any other um, format or situation. You know, I, I really love the magic of the page turn and the fact that picture books are an art form that is meant to be shared. It can be shared by a teacher, it can be shared by a loving family member or friend, but they are also something that kids can read on their own. Even before they can read, they can read the pictures. They're accessible. They're they're uh, free. You can get them from the library. So it's a form of art that is just really accessible to anybody if you uh, have access to a library. So there's so much that I love about the picture book art form. And um, yeah, I feel like the luckiest person in the world to, to get to kind of play with that special space that happens when words and pictures come together and they each contribute something different and they make something bigger than either one of them alone. I heard a lot there about visiting the library and, you know, access. So I'm curious, did either of you consider yourself readers first before you became creators of story? Or do you connect more being a reader now that you're a writer? Like, when did you first really feel like you were a reader? Matt, do you want to go first? So I guess my background is a little different than Karina's in that I didn't grow up a big reader. Um, and, and a lot of authors that I know, I'm friends with, they found writing through reading. You know, they were inspired to, to write after they had, you know, kind of explored many, many stories. I was the opposite. I found reading through writing. So I, I was always writing little poems as a kid. Um, I didn't share them with anyone because I thought as a boy, you weren't supposed to do that. You weren't supposed to do something that I thought maybe was considered sensitive. So I was always writing, but then I started to think, well, I wonder what other people are, are writing poems about. And then I went to college and I was introduced to, I guess, the right books. And, and then I fell in love with, with reading in college. So for me, it happened a little bit later. Uh, and then I started to see people that were doing things that, 
that I thought I was already doing. So I, I started to read like Sandra Cisneros, Alice Walker, and I started to go, oh, wow, like people are, are getting these books out into the world and I, and I can read them. I wonder if I could ever, you know, write a book that people would read too. I do feel like sometimes in the, you know, literature world that you feel like you have to say that you're a reader and you have been your entire life, but it's just, it's not, it's not the case for everybody. And it's just not true. I didn't identify with being a reader as a kid. When I look back, books were always part of my world. So I do think that they shaped me, but I didn't identify with being a reader until I was a young adult. Wow. So it's similar. And, you know, one other thing I would add is that a lot of kids like me, they haven't found books yet, but they are reading the world. You know, I, I was a very quiet kid and always watching everything and everybody. So I was reading. I just hadn't found text yet. Karina, how, how, how about you? Do you do you feel like reader prompted you to become writer or do you identify more of a reader now that you're a, a writer and a storyteller through your art? You know, it's interesting because I think, um, you know, I grew up as a as an only child with a single mom who was in school. And so reading and she, and she was um, studying a lot in the evening. So reading was just like what you did, I thought, you know, and, um, and our, and my mom was uh, very much an introvert. So we didn't have a whole lot of community and social going on. So I think it was just what I, and we, for a long time, we didn't even have a TV. And so when we finally had a TV, it was black and white. So it was sort of a huge part of the available entertainment to me. Um, and I don't know if I would have been such a reader if that wasn't, you know, sort of my circumstance. But what I do know is that I was I was embarrassed by how much I read and how quickly I read, because in school you had to keep track of these sheets where you would write down books. And every time you read a book, you would write it on this piece of paper that was up on the classroom wall. And my list was so much longer than everyone else's that I you know, started getting teased a little bit and just stopped writing anything on the list. So, so I don't know. I mean, story in that way was a form of comfort and maybe escape, but I, I didn't think I wanted to be a writer then. I didn't really think that that was an option or that was available or, or even an illustrator. It took me many, many years to kind of realize that that is something that would maybe is something I could do, but I, I was always a reader, I think. Yeah. Digging in, I noticed that your dedication, Matt, is for Luna and Miguel and all the young people out there stitching together their very own story. So was there someone special or a specific moment that moved you to write Patchwork? Okay, that's a great question. I think as I get older and as I become a parent of kids who are, I'm watching them grow, there's a tightrope going on. So I think of when I was a kid and Nobody in my family had ever been to college. And I remember thinking, I have to go all in <clears throat> on the sport of basketball because this is the only way I can get to college, um, you know, for free through, through a sport. So I, all my waking moments were about basketball. Even when I was in class and, you know, listening to a lecture, I'd be drawing basketball shoes. Like I was such a basketball nerd. And so I thought, okay, the best thing you can do as a young person is be great at one thing. Now I'm a parent and I see the pitfalls of that kind of thinking. And, and I actually think that is almost the predominant philosophy of a lot of parents right now. It's like, if you see 
your child getting into soccer. Okay, well, let's do all the traveling teams. Let's travel to Arizona on weekends and Florida, you know, every once in a while to do these tournaments. Same thing for a dancer or an artist. And I think what I'm noticing is that kids, because Karina and I both visit schools a lot, there's a growing anxiety that you have to, as a young person, identify what you might be great at at a really young age. And I don't think that's healthy. So I think that's what uh, led me into this, this book. I wanted to take that thing that the kid identifies as their, as their special skill. And I wanted to complicate it to say, oh, well, in the future, you might use that in a certain way, but in a way you've never thought about. So um, I think the first vignette is the color thing, the blue and the pink and the brown. And it served as like a template of what I was going to do in the book. I think the thing that I love most about Patchwork is that it explores a multitude of personas and experiences. And I'm going to steal from the jacket flap here. You know, readers get to see a young dancer may grow into a computer coder. A basketball player might become a poet. A class clown may one day serve as an inspiring teacher and today's quiet empath might be tomorrow's great leader. So I recently had a comedian and writer on the podcast, Julio Torres, and he was on the podcast to talk about his picture book, I Want to Be a Vase. And he shared a thought that really resonated with me. And it was that we spend a lot of time telling our kids that they're special, they're unique, and they can seek out anything in life if they dare to dream it. And these messages are all messages we want our kids to have, but he made a point that we need to remember to spread the word that all children and humans deserve this. So we're special. Our kids are special, but so are our neighbors. And we're like, everybody deserves to go out and, and seek out and, and create their own story. So I, I love just, that. I love yeah. That. And I felt like when I was reading Patchwork, like what Julio said just came back to me. So do either of you have thoughts on that? Well, Karina and I actually talked about that. So Karina can can expand on this, but we talked about how really it's taking each of these stories and showing how they fit into the, the larger community of stories. Right, Karina? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think actually that whole idea of, of us being special and even backing up a little bit, I, t- I too have been noticing there's a lot of books coming out about how we're all very special or unique and different and kind of trying to celebrate that. And I've just been noticing such a trend in there and wondering, I think that's very true. And I think it's it's important to celebrate each child as an individual, but I, I do worry a little bit about, you know, we're all very unique and special, but we're also really not so different from each other at all. You know, we all want to be loved. We all have core similarities. And so the focus just on the differences or, or the really honing in and trying to find that thing that you're great at, that makes you really special and unique. I think somehow, I think that can, it can kind of undo us a little bit. Like it can, it can, well, stress us out and maybe make us miss a little bit of the beauty and specialness that are in the other people all around us. So that's something I loved about this manuscript from the very beginning was the way that that Matt approaches that. And I love how he kind of frames it as well with this sort of recurring refrain from the adults. That's, you know, the we know, we know, we sigh, we sigh, we beam, we beam. And there is sort of this frame or context of that just sort of recognizes the impact that adults and their judgment can have on 
children and our opinions, whether those are about how they need to grow or what they struggle with, but also just even what they're, they're so good at and what they get all the praise from. So I, I, you know, I just love the way that this book and, and Matt's words, when I first saw them dive into all of these issues and kind of layer them together in, in a, you know, in a patchwork. Do you happen to have a copy in front of you, Matt? I do. Okay. I'm wondering because Karina touched on something that I know as a parent that I felt deeply when I was reading and it's, it's when we get to the parts where, you know, you'll say, I beam, I beam. Anyway, I I just want the listeners to maybe experience one spread or, you know, would, would you be able to read just a little bit? Yeah. Maybe I'll do the one that's the most personal, the basketball. You go everywhere with the ball in your hands. We see, we see. You are basketball, baseball, football, any kind of ball, and you were born to compete. Even in defeat, the game feeds you, it leads you. But soon you will see your sport for what it really is, an expression. The sound of a bouncing ball is the language of your loneliness. You are bilingual. And one day you will carry words with you instead. You will spin couplets on your finger because you've always been a poet. And I think what Karina is saying is what I was really trying to do with kind of the, the adult chorus, you know, it, it's it's in each vignette because it kids read the room, right? They they read their the faces of their parents, of their caretakers, and they and they sort of travel along lines in ways that either they they get praise for for what they're doing or or they're getting attention for acting out if you're the class clown. So we we do mold the young people. There's messaging all over the place for young kids and they're trying to navigate that too. Yeah. That was a beautiful reading by the way. I got goosebumps again. <laughs> Karina, you did start to touch on your illustrations a little bit, and they really do capture the expressive nature of Matt's words through your choice of colors, the facial expressions, and the diversity and the movements of the kids swinging back on chairs in class or bouncing the basketball, or even like there's a subtle moment of a sharing of a chocolate chip cookie if you pay attention to the pictures. So will you tell us about how this collaboration of you and Matt coming together, you know, how did it happen? And what, what made you say yes to creating the artwork for Patchwork? Well, so for starters, Matt and I uh, share the same agent, uh, Stephen Monk, and with Writer's House. And so I also, let's see, to back up a little further, I've been a fan of Matt's work for a long time. And in fact, Last Stop on Market Street is a book that I read over and over and over with my daughter when she was quite young and is a book that just has a really special place in our hearts. We were driving one time through uh, an area on the Washington coast that's sort of a post heyday logging town um, that has, you know, experienced quite a bit of economic depression. And when you drive through the main street, you really see kind of the ugliest parts of town. And I, I said something to my daughter about that. And she parroted back to me the words from last stop about, you know, sometimes you have to be surrounded by dirt to see what's beautiful. Um, And it was one of those, you know, talk about goosebumps moments for me as a parent where I just thought, oh my gosh, that went in that, that beautiful 
you know, the beauty of the book and the beauty of the language swept up this message and like carried it right into her heart. And she was carrying that around with her and it came out very organically uh, as we're driving through town and she's talking to me from the back seat. And so that was a a moment for me of really, that was before I was making books myself and um, really was- Okay, now I got the goosebumps, by the way. (laughs) It was one of those magic, magic parenting, magic book moments, you know, where you're like, I can't believe this. So um, anyway, that's all to say, I've been a a fan of Matt's work for a long time. And so when I was shown this manuscript, I was excited to take a look at it. And then when it came down to actually, you know, what I do when I look at a manuscript is I, I read it. And the first thing I do is I read it through for sound and rhythm. I love poetry and that's incredibly important to me. And so if I don't like the way something sounds, it's going to be really hard for me to live with it and want to illustrate it. And so as you heard Matt read, like the the sound and the rhythm of of Patrick is beautiful. The language is beautiful and the rhythmic quality of it is really strong. And I love that. I I also read through for kind of like, where is this book going and how am I going to feel at the end of that? And is that a place I want to move towards with, you know, if I'm spending six to 10 months illustrating something. And I loved where this book ended up. I loved the feeling. And I thought that there was room to have a lot of fun with the art building towards that. And I loved that it was quite open-ended maybe is, uh, I was going to say abstract, but maybe open-ended is a better word. There's a lot of room in this manuscript for the illustrator to decide what to do. And I love that. I really love that. So I have a call-in question that I think I need to slot in right here based on like giving the illustrator room to um, sort of create and breathe. So give me a second. I'm going to line it up. Hi guys, this is Melissa Taylor with Imagination Soup, where uh, Karina and Matt, you did your cover reveal. I am so excited to see this book. My question is, if Matt included illustrator notes for Karina, and if so, how Karina used those notes to inform her creative process. Thanks. Did you get that? Yes, I did. I love this question. So the truth is, I don't think I really, even to this day, fully understand how you're supposed to write a picture book text. Because one time I was with Christian Robinson on, you know, at like some public event, and he was explaining to the crowd how other people who he's worked with uh, present their uh, picture book text. In it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know you could put what page is on what, you know. So for me, I honestly just see the story in, in a musical way. It, it truly is just a poem. So the only time I will ever put in a note for the artist is if it's plot specific. So, you know, obviously, um, as an example, in Last Stop on Market Street, you know, the grandmother and the and the young boy, they're going to a soup kitchen. But I, di- I don't say in the text that they're working at the soup kitchen to serve others. So I had to put that note in there because it's not in the language. I think with... Uh, with patchwork, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Karina, but I don't know if I had any notes. Um, also, I will I will also share this. Karina is is an artist I really wanted to work with, and it's specifically because of the book of mistakes, because I thought that that book was so intellectually interesting, and I, she was doing all of these really big things. She was exploring big ideas in a very subtle way. So I think one of the reasons I really wanted to work with Karina on this particular book is because I knew she could kind of make the book bigger 
and better than it could have been if it didn't have her artwork. So Karina, you correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like I had zero notes, but maybe I had a couple. I don't know. No, I think, okay, to be honest, I'm not 100% sure either, but I'm pretty sure there were no notes. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't, I don't remember any. And, and I also remember being assured by multiple people, you know, your editor and, and our mutual agent, Steve, that, um, that you were really lovely to work with from an illustrator's standpoint, that you really did give a lot of space to the illustrator, mm. um, which, you know, that's a beautiful thing. That's not something that everyone has the perspective uh, or ability to do. And I think editors try their hardest to give illustrators a blank page. So like when when writers do put in those notes, like a lot of them might get taken out <laughs> just to yeah. spare the illustrator from... Yeah. You know, it's like once someone plants a seed in your head, you can't ever, of an image, like you can't ever take that away and you'll never know what you would have thought of mm. if you had been given space. Yeah. Um, but that said, you know, this manuscript also, there's places where, you know, I thought maybe I understood what Matt was saying, but I wasn't totally sure. And I wanted to make sure that we were, that I wasn't taking it off into this different direction. Like even the way it begins uh, with you were blue before you were born. Mm. We mark, we mark. You know, to me, I thought this is about gender, but I wasn't, or, or like taking color and trying to genderize color and and kind of some of the things that we do as adults to kind of mark kids. And, um, and so there was a point pretty early in the process. This was unusual for me. I don't, I have not done this before where we hopped on the phone and had a lovely conversation about the manuscript, not specifics, but just the bigger picture around it. And I got to ask Matt, you know, what were you thinking here? That informed the book and that informed my kind of confidence of, of really going, diving into color and using color as a way to shape the book. And well, I remember that conversation because it was at the beginning of the pandemic and I was like, oh my gosh, I get to speak to another human being that's not related to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, I, since you just brought up color, I've been dying to ask the question about your color choice and the beautiful, subtle patchwork pattern that's used throughout. So do you want to talk us through the color choice, Karina, and the palette? Color is probably the first thing that I sort of need to figure out or sort out when I'm working on a book because to me, color is really tied to emotion and to feeling and different color combinations in particular. You know, when people will ask me in schools, I have a lot of yellow in my books. And so when I go to classrooms, I often get asked, you know, what's your favorite color? And usually by people who think that they know what I'm going to say. And at some point I realized, you know, I don't really have a favorite color and I'm not really sure I ever have. Um, But I've always had our favorite color combinations. And even when I was quite young, I remember like when I first was able to dress myself, being really excited to wear red, yellow, and blue all at once together. (laughs) And I just loved the way they like made each other brighter. And I, I love just like, you know, in my environment, now that I have a garden, even with where I plant flowers, like I really love putting colors next to each other that, that create a feeling. And so um, with a book like Patchwork, you know, I'm really thinking what are the colors that I want to use and how will they, will they interact? And I knew the book needed to start with blue and pink and brown. And so that got me started. And I didn't really want the colors to be overwhelmingly strong. I wanted kind of the child to be this, the, the focus of our attention. And I wanted to kind of support them with color. And so I, I kind of was also looking at, you know, so many different books and online images of patchwork quilts from all over the world and trying to get a sense of what 
how people use patchwork quilts from so many different countries, because we often think of them as bold, bright colors, but actually there's a number of places where they, you know, they will use more translucent fabrics or softer colors. And so I kind of, it's a slow journey for me. I, I spent a couple months sketching and experimenting with a lot of different colors. I had a lot of navy blues in the beginning until I realized that it was uh, going to serve the book better if I used pastels. And then um, it was pretty clear to me that I wanted to start with a single color for each child. And as their story evolved, I wanted to add more variety from that color. So darker blues, lighter blues, and then eventually other colors. So that by the time we get to sort of this vision of the child and who they've matured into, we have a richer array of colors, but I didn't want to use the whole rainbow until the end of the book. So I kind of had this vision of color building because, because the book ends with this kind of culmination of um, more than one story being brought together. And I wanted to save all the colors coming together for that, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you know, one other thing I would say real quick about it is I always thought I've, I've seen from kind of the beginning Matt's manuscript as this opportunity to sort of take our ideas of what's beautiful and maybe expand them a little bit. You can do this really cool thing with art and with picture books where you really can take people on a journey. And when they when they leave the book, they might feel or see the world differently from when they started. And that's one of the really exciting things I think about making picture books. But with this particular project, I was thinking, you know, we have, because we, I don't want to spoil it, but we, we end with this idea about beauty and what is beautiful. And so I realized I had an opportunity to kind of push up against or try to enlarge our collective sense of what is beautiful, maybe through the process of making the book. And so What's interesting is about it is that in some ways, some of the early sequences, like I didn't want them to be the most beautiful, you know, in the book. Like I really wanted it to get rougher and more tangled like a patchwork, um, more bits and pieces, but also more beautiful as it grew. So that was an interesting challenge. Yeah, and I definitely that definitely stood out to me, especially when we get to the spread of the single note child who becomes the symphony, and you see that pattern in in the, that's just subtly in the background has has grown, and there's there's more depth to not just the color but the pattern too. I, that really mm -hmm. stood out to me. Matt, you you mentioned before that the most personal spread you was the basketball pod and and that that makes sense right and you kind of described a little bit about what drives you and it all kind of fits together and from an outsider's perspective who didn't write and didn't illustrate this book for me like who do I connect with most mm -hmm. in the book and it was a blend and it was a blend of the kid constantly in timeout and mm -hmm. also the kid who feels like a single note versus a symphony at first so like often as I'm reading a book from a reviewer's point of view, I, I try to imagine who the book will most resonate with. And patchwork is truly, it's for everyone. But if I did have to just, if somebody said, no, you have to pick one person to gift it to, I would probably choose either a child or an adult even who needs that uplifting reminder that they're in charge of writing their life story every mm. single day and that they get to choose what the next page chapter or sequel in their life will be. And it would probably also be somebody who maybe wrestles with self-doubt or trying to find their place in the world. And that makes me want to ask the question as to whether either of you wrestle with self-doubt or ever feel discouraged. Matt, do you ever feel that way? <clears throat> oh my gosh. So I was thinking about this yesterday. 
um, because I'm currently finishing up a manuscript and it is shocking how hard it is for me to find a landing spot for a manuscript uh, for a picture book. And, you know, yesterday my kids are in camp. Uh, my wife is at home. She's working. She's, you know, freelancing and, and I'm sitting in an office trying so hard for five hours to figure it out, to crack the code. And I was thinking, I feel like I judge my self-worth only on how productive I am in my writing for a day. So I often, and you know, maybe I'm going a little too deep here, but I often come home feeling very dejected and, and feeling like I've failed. And yesterday I was trying to like have a pep talk with myself and saying, you know, like, this is just part of who you are is like that. Sometimes you can't get it, but you're going to go pick your kids up from camp and you'll be with them. And it's all part of like what makes up your story. And so like one of the things that I think a lot about with this book is that, you know, part of the beauty of our stories are our failures. Like it's just maybe the dancer never became a professional dancer. Maybe somewhere along the, the line, she fell short. But like, that's the part, part of the beauty of her story. And ultimately, you know, we talked about the collective at the very beginning of this conversation, but it slots into this bigger collection of all our stories and all our failures and how we fit together into something that's beautiful, even if it's extremely flawed. So long answer. Yes, yeah. self-doubt for sure. And thank you for going deep, Matt. I like deep <laughs> conversations. Oh, cool. <laughs> Uh, Karina, how about you? Self-doubt? Oh, feel yes. discouraged? <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, absolutely. You know, I think what I've started to realize now um, that I have a number of books behind me is that that self-doubt is just an enormous part of the creative process. Like, you can't make a book without it and without coming up against it and without, you know, having, having these moments where you doubt yourself, you doubt if you're ever going to make anything good again, or you're full into a project and you doubt if anyone else is going to like it. And I really relate to what Matt was saying about, you know, it's really tricky when, when you've had a dream that you've worked really hard for. And for me, you know, illustrating and writing picture books is something that I wanted to do for a good 15 years before I sold my first book or more. Um, and, you know, at least 17 years before the book came out. And that was a, a long process with a lot of, you know, rejections and discouraging moments and feelings of like, this is never going to happen. And so you kind of can build a thing up in your mind to like thinking that all your happiness is going to come from if you are successful at this one thing. And I think that's part of the trap of what Matt is talking about with this is, you know, like we all know that you're such a great dancer. We all know you're such a great basketball player and, and a community of people can try to show their love by believing in you and by mm. saying, you're so good at this. But I think in the end, you don't necessarily, you're not really being loved for you. You're being loved for your skill, which is different from who you are and what you do, you know, when you pick your kids up from school or what you do in your free time, that isn't the thing you're great at. And I think there's nothing like having a couple books behind you and a couple books that do well to kind of up the pressure on now you've got this thing that you've wanted for so long and you're still you and you still 
aren't sure if people are going to like the next thing. And you're still sometimes not sure if you even like the next thing. So for me, I, what, what I try to do is recognize that that is a very normal part of the process. And I have come up with some tricks for navigating it for myself. Like from an illustration standpoint, one of my go-tos is to just pick two illustrators that I love who make work that's really, really different from each other. So like Christian Robinson and um, maybe Isabel Arsenault or Marla Frazee. And I would, I would ask myself, like, what would happen if Christian Robinson was trying to draw like Marla Frazee? And what would happen to the books that I love, that I've loved so much, if he wasn't trying to draw like himself, but he was trying to draw like someone else. And likewise, what if Marla Frazee was trying to draw like John Agee or Isabel Arsenal, and the world would not be as rich and beautiful of a place. And so if I take myself out of it and I kind of imagine other people as stand-ins, it makes it clear to me how kind of ridiculous it is to judge yourself in that way. So, yeah. And then I, you know, I try to come back to, I do think, you know, this again, this could sound cheesy, but I do think love is the thing that can carry you through all that. Like the creative process is not always easy, but if you, and if you're too focused on the end result, it can really trip you up. But if you um, can find ways to remember that you love the process and that you love the world you're in, you know, like that I love picture books, I pick up other picture books that that inspire me and make me happy. And it reminds me that this is a community I really want to be part of. I have little tricks like that for, for dealing with it, because I think, I don't think you can be a human on this planet and not deal with this, you know, the difficult feelings. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm not going to add another question here, but I went really deep for a moment as you were talking where I was like, but what if, what if you're having a moment where you don't love the world that you're in? And I feel like we've all had that, that, so much, but I think then it's just scaling it back and even just finding one, one little thing that you love today. Right. Yeah. I, Cause I think that that is a, such an interesting thought, you know, but I think, you know, you can do, I think it's interesting because you can actually explore ugliness too, like, and, and sadness and things that are scary even in picture books, like I think you can explore those things. And it really just goes back to that idea that in order to know light, you have to know dark and, you know, in in all the ways that translates. Oh my gosh, look where we went. All right. (laughs) Well, Matt, as the author of Patchwork, what impact do you hope that this book is going to have on readers? Well, I I guess maybe there's so many ways to think to think about this, but I'll tell you two things. First of all, one of my favorite things about making a book, and especially a collaboration like this one, is waiting for readers to show me what my book is about, you know, and, and like seeing where the, the conversations go based on this. So I love that process. And I love sometimes going to a school or a community where they tell me what the book is. But I do hope that young people through this book can recognize something that maybe they haven't thought much about, which is, A, we are affected by the chorus that we grow up underneath. So the, the parents, the teachers, the politicians, right? The chorus of like, we, we see, we see, we know, we know, we sigh, we beam. So we're, we're growing up underneath that, and it's good to recognize that. And then second of all, just knowing that, you know, to be specific to my own story, like 
when you ultimately fail in basketball, because you will fail in basketball, no, no person is great for their entire life. You know, every, every person ends up not good enough at some point in their life. If you play a sport, you get old, right? That's just part of your story. And it will actually play a role in your story down the road in a, in a way you haven't considered. So I just hope it helps kids like think about that concept and think about that part of the, the fun and the joy of being alive and having a story is that it is so much more complicated than you could ever imagine. I remember as a, I think maybe the reason I can deal with the self-doubt that we talked about earlier is because I had it in a sport and I did fail a lot, you know? And so I just hope that kids recognize that failure is part of all of our stories. Karina, is there anything you want to add to your hopes for the book? You know, Matt said that so beautifully. I think my hope, I guess, is just maybe has to do with the feeling that someone would leave the book with. And I, I hope that it is a feeling of having zoomed out a little bit and seeing the world a little bit differently and seeing beauty when they look around themselves. You know, when you look at yourself, seeing the beauty that is there that might surprise you and and then taking that ability and, and turning that towards other people as well. And when you look at other people, sort of seeing them with that same generosity of spirit and of gaze and, um, you know, the more you zoom out, the more, the more everything is beautiful. And I think that you can think that with your mind and you can feel that with your heart. And I, I, I guess if I, if I hoped for anything, which, um, I also hesitate to kind of create a framework around a book, I kind of want it to go out and have its own life and surprise me. But if, if I hoped for anything, it would be that the the book brings up that feeling of kind of possibility and beauty in Mm -hmm. the reader. Well, listeners, Patchwork is such a heartfelt, encouraging picture book. And I really hope that this conversation has moved you all enough to go straight to the library or bookstore to read it now. Matt and Karina, thank you so, so much for being here today. I've loved every second of our conversation. It was so much fun, Bianca. Thank you. You're welcome. So great. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. Be sure to check out our show notes. You'll find links to order a copy of Patchwork by Matt De La Pena and Karina Lucan. To see which author and illustrator guests we have coming up and how you can be on our podcast and have your questions answered by authors and illustrators, visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com and search for the Growing Readers Podcast. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Apple Podcasts, Chromecast, Spotify, or anywhere else you enjoy listening. Subscribe to the show to get new episodes as soon as they launch. If you're enjoying our book chats, please leave us a review. And while you're at it, tell a friend to come and have a listen. The Growing Readers Podcast is a production of the Children's Book Review. To discover more fantastic books, I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com.